what do or does a child, a Gentile king, and a towel all have in common? Now, I'll just give you a little uh, heads up that when I get to the application part, um, I left it blank. There's a, there's a big-time application part toward the end. Point four, as a matter of fact. I left it blank. I started to put some things in, and I, no, I'm going to take that out. I start. So basically what I'm, going to, what I'm giving you a little heads up on is there's going to come a point in this message where I'm going to ask you to say, okay, Lord, what would you have for me? And so just, just a little warning on that. What do these things all have in common? Well, they were all used by Jesus as object lessons to settle three different disputes that the disciples had as they discussed which of them would be the greatest in his upcoming kingdom. In at least three different scenes, the twelve had passionate arguments as to which of them would be the greatest which they in his kingdom, which they mistakenly thought he was about to set up on earth by overthrowing the Roman government. He had even stated to them, you are going to sit on the twelve thrones judging the tribes of Israel. Well, they must have missed the first part of that verse in Matthew 19, 28, when he said this reign would take place in a new world, in the future. Each man wanted to make sure that he was not overlooked, underappreciated, undervalued when it came time for Christ to appoint those positions of leadership. So Jesus lovingly and gently told them on different occasions that when they got to Jerusalem, not only was he not going to overthrow the Roman government, he was going to allow those Romans to put him on a cross and crucify him. After rising from the dead and ascending to the Father's right hand, he would establish the kingdom of God in the hearts of men through faith in his finished work on the cross. Yes, ultimately he will set up a millennial kingdom here on earth for a thousand years just prior to his reign in the eternal kingdom. But of that day, Jesus said, the Father will decide who will sit at my right hand and at my left hand. In the meantime... He has set up a pattern for us as to how we should function within our own community of believers here on earth. And yes, I believe even specifically here at Gateway, as we are about to move into and minister from a different facility. So, one of the occasions where the twelve argued... Who is going to be the greatest is in Luke 22. And if you're not there, I would invite you to turn or push that button that will bring up Luke 22. Uh, So I'm seeing a few people look down. Uh, Looks like a lot of you are already there. Uh, Luke 22, we're going to be in about three different places today, but this is where we're going to start. One of the occasions where the twelve argued about who would be the greatest, 
Luke 22, the scene is the Last Supper. Jesus had just, oh, you got you to you realize here, Jesus had just told the disciples about the great sacrifice he was going to make. He just told them about, they're going to break my body. They're going to shed my blood. And amazingly, the mood in the room quickly turned from somber to selfish as they began to argue. Let's read and start in verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those that are in authority over them are called benefactors. So from a worldly perspective, you are great when you have power and position to rule over people. Verse 26, But not so with you. Rather, Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. He told them that true greatness is found in serving others, and now he's going to really drive this point home in what I think is a little bit of a surprising way to us. Verse 27. For who is the greater... The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? I'll look up here for a second. Okay. Folks, how many of you like to go out to eat? Put your hands up. Okay. I do. I love it. Wish I could do it more. Uh, 32 years of camp food, you really like to go out to eat. (laughs) Just kidding, if anybody's listening today, our food's great. (laughs) Oh, oh, I didn't think of that. (laughs) Okay, so let's just say you were eating at a restaurant and you looked across the room and to your shock, you saw Tom Brady eating in the same restaurant. Now, I've got to just assume there are a couple of you that don't know who he is. Um, If you want to say Michael Jordan, you can. Uh, Your favorite soccer player, uh, Messi, you know, one of those. So we're just going to use Tom Brady for an example. You're sitting in a restaurant. You look across the room, and the, the guy who's won six Super Bowls in the National Football League is sitting there, and you're like, no, not happening. We would never eat in the same restaurant. That, this is hypothetical, of course. So you see Tom Brady sitting down uh, eating a meal, and if you were to walk around the room, walk around where people are, are getting their food, and you were to go up to every table, and you were to say to this person, hey, who's greater, Tom Brady or that Guy serving him the meal. And you go to this side, and you go to this side. Hey, who's, who's greater, Tom Brady or his waiter? Well, they're going to obviously say Tom Brady, of course. 
And why would they say that? Well, he has money, power, athletic ability, fame, good looks, a supermodel wife, a $17 million home, expensive vehicles, designer clothes, everything you need to be considered great. And Jesus said in verse 27, But out of those two, I am among you as the one that serves. Were you expecting that? Who's greater? The guy sitting down for the meal or the waiter? Obviously the one sitting down at the meal. You know which of those two I'm like? I'm the guy serving the meal. What does that mean for us today? Matthew 10.25 says, It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If you and I are going to be like Christ, we must serve. Now we're all going to have a part in this, And it's important that we have Christ's mind as we move forward in ministry here in Traveler's Rest. So while we're in Luke 22, I'd just like to put our attention on verse 39. After the Lord's table, he, Jesus, verse 39, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, this impending death on the cross, bearing the wrath of God due to sin. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Remember what I just said? It is enough that the servant be as his master. Number one, we're going to see that a servant is selfless. Selfless. 1 Corinthians 13.5 tells us love seeketh not her own. Love does not insist on its own way. Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, pride or self-seeking ambition. Uh, The very first time the disciples argued about the greatest in the kingdom, I think you could find it in Matthew 18, 1-4, and it says there that And calling to him a child. Okay, remember, here's this argument. Who's going to be the greatest? Jesus said, okay, uh, bring that child to me. He put the child in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. At Gateway Baptist Church, it is going to be the adult or teenager with Childlike humility, dependence, and the inability to advance his own cause, who is greatest in Christ's cause here on the earth. 
So we're currently in Luke chapter 22, and we saw here an argument that took place in Jerusalem at the Last Supper. Now, this argument had taken place before on their way to Jerusalem, so we're going to turn back in time a little bit and turn back in our Bibles. So I'd like you to go back to Mark chapter 10, please. We will get back to the upper room in a few minutes. But this was not the first time they argued about this. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. Taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. After three days, he will rise. Servant, not only a selfless, but number two, a servant sets an example. A servant, a selfless servant, sets the tone for others to follow. The time had come for Jesus to go to Jerusalem. He knew that this would mean sorrow, suffering, and certain death. Yet he forged his way toward that city where he would be beaten, mocked, and hung upon a cross. Speaking about his example, we can look back to Isaiah chapter 50. Speaking of the Messiah, he said, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Luke 9 and verse 51, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, He set his face to go to Jerusalem. A selfless example along the path of true surrender. How did the disciples react to this? It says they showed amazement. Wow, I can't believe he's so resolutely going to the place where he's going to be killed. He went to Jerusalem fully aware of the cost. And I just want to just give us all a reminder. Serving people is not always that glorious. Serving people will cost you something. Cost him his life. Number three. A servant responds in a godly way when he is mistreated. Now, I'm going to guess that 80% of you, maybe 90% of you in the room, by the way, let me just pause. Richard, is it hot in here or is it just me? It's just me? Okay. You don't have to come up and turn it down. Uh Uh-oh, now we're going to have a fight because some are saying, yeah, it's not just you. 
Um, nothing like you bothering the message here. By, so, all right, I'll keep going, but don't turn it down too low because some ladies don't have sweaters with them. By the way, I do have brown shoes on today in case anybody was wondering about that. You had to be here for that one. Now, I'm thinking about 89, maybe 90% of you, maybe, maybe fewer than that. When we read the account of uh, what we're about to look at, this is one of those things that we can kind of miss. We, we kind of gloss over. Not, not that we intend to, but it's, it's maybe not the main, the main thing, the main idea here. So let's, let's just uh, pause that for a second. I want to have another hypothetical uh, example for you. Let's say that, uh, we're, again, we're talking about a servant responding in a godly way when he or she is mistreated. Let's say that somehow next Sunday after church, you knew somehow that before you got home, you would find yourself in front of an angry mob, okay, not that... <laughs> fantastic these days, but you, you knew you would find yourself in front of an angry mob, and you knew somehow that this mob would beat you up and even kill you. Now, you wouldn't be feeling too great if you knew that was going to happen. In fact, you might even come up to Pastor Stikes, because he'll be here next Sunday. You might even come up to Pastor Stikes and say, you know, Pastor, this is going to happen to me. How would you feel if pastor looked at you and said, Ah, oh, too bad. I want you to do something for me before you go. Anything I want, whatever I ask. Well, you'd be like, why is this guy our pastor? <laughs> okay. Christ had just told these men that when he got to Jerusalem, he was going to be mocked, spit upon, flogged, and killed. The very next words he heard, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Uh-oh, look out. You're the sons of thunder. Well, you're about to see some real thunder. How did he respond to that? He just told him he was going to be crucified. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? How could he respond like that? Well, he was God. That's the easy answer, right? Well, no. He was also man. How could he respond like that, friends? He wasn't focused on his own rights. He wasn't focused on his personal comfort. He wasn't focused on having to have it his own way. And moving forward here at Gateway... Uh, just a gentle nudge here. If you or I always have to be first, if you or I always have to have it our way, if we always insist that others serve us, 
If in our service we have to be noticed, we have to be thanked, or I'll never do that again, then it's going to be very hardly to respond in a godly way when you're mistreated. Because it's going to happen. Because nobody here is perfect. And we see that in the response of the ten. Look down at verse 38. Jesus, or before that, he said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. With the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they were thrilled for James and John. (laughs) When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them uh, to him and said, and you've heard this before. You know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, came not to serve, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. A servant responds in a godly way when he is mistreated. Now we're going to transition here and keep moving along. We're going to leave Christ and the disciples here on the road. And we're going to go back uh, to the upper room where we had them earlier uh, when we were in Luke 22. But we're not going to turn to Luke 22 because Luke pretty much ended the story. Remember when he, he gave the example about two guys, sit, the, the guy sitting at the meal and the servant? And he, he ended that discussion by saying, out of those two, I am like the guy who serves. He ended it right there. But something very significant happens after the Lord said those words that the Holy Spirit did not instruct Luke to record. So let's please uh, finally go to John Chapter 13, same scenario. Okay, they had a couple arguments on the road going to Jerusalem. Now they are there. Jesus said, I'm going to uh, give my body. I'm going to shed my blood as a ransom. And now the, they are back here in the upper room. And we're going to start reading at chapter 13 and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon 
Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and washed them and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And I found something that was helpful to me. I'll read while you look at the screen. Washing people's feet. This was considered a task reserved for non-Jewish slaves. In a culture where people walked long distances on dusty roads, in sandals, it was customary for the host to arrange for water to be available for the washing of feet. Normally, this was done upon arrival, not during the meal. Okay, let's picture it. Upper room. Dirty feet. I'm first. Oh, I don't know if I'll get off the TV screen if I yonder, wander too far, but we're going to do it anyway. Going in for this meal. Now, I don't know exactly what it looked like, but I do know this. They were concerned about who was the greatest. They had dirty feet. And there was a towel and water, but there was no slave. They all passed by the towel on their way in. Why? (laughs) Don't miss this. You don't pick up a towel when you expect everybody else to serve you. You don't pick up a towel when you are consumed with being the greatest. What did he tell them about that thing when he heard them arguing? Luke 22, he told them true greatness is found in serving others. He told them and now he showed them. He walked over to the towel, picked it up, and began to wash the disciples' feet. And Ken Collier has come up with this point for us because I've heard him teach it many times. A servant is a volunteer. He's willing to do the job nobody else will do. Now that is not the main, main point being taught there, but it is certainly an application. I can't remember the guy's name. He collected expensive cars, expensive eggs, and castles. 
he came up with the phrase, he who dies with the most toys wins. And Ken didn't like that phrase too well. He said, he who dies with the dirtiest towel wins. So, how dirty have you gotten your towel so far here at Gateway Baptist Church? Well, I come, you know, I'm there. Okay, great. Great start. How dirty is your towel? Is it pristine white? Okay, now now I'm just going to I'm going to go with what my notes say because there's a big blank. Cuz this is not about me haranguing you to step in and do something here. It's simply me asking the question, are you willing to be a volunteer to do a job nobody else wants to do? And there are those kinds of places of service here. But there are other things that people enjoy doing too. I'm simply trying to get across that Christ served, and so should we, if we're going to be like him. And I am so grateful for the acts of service that I have witnessed here for the past how many months we've been here. I think we've got an an amazing start at this, and I think I'm preaching to the choir for the most part. How dirty is your towel? Now, if you're really struggling with this concept, and you're like, well, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of a selfish person, and, you know, and, and I'm just not used to, to this. If you're really struggling with this, let, let the Lord help you. Um, let's look at chapter 13. He goes on to say, starting verse 12, when he had washed their feet, put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. We take that figuratively. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things... Blessed or happy are you if you do them. In closing, a servant esteems others better than self. You know the verse. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look each not... Look each of you not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Ken also said this a lot in the last year about this verse. When you walk into the room, okay, when you walk into the room, whether it's at church, work, or home, when you walk into a room, consider yourself the least important person in the room. Whoa, whoa, man. <laughs> hey, hey, 
Not me. Do you know who you're talking to? Consider yourself the least important person in the room. Wow. What if we all did that? What if I did it? You're like, yeah, if you do it, I'll do it. Well, I want to. Don't you? It's what esteeming others better than yourself means. Now, I'm going to close with this whole principle. I've been at this camp for 32 years, and this is pretty much in our DNA. A lot of former summer staff here. If you didn't walk away from being on our staff, having a servant's heart, we failed you. Because this is in our DNA. We do not do it perfectly. But I'm going to go back in time to a man that is dead now. He was uh, recruited by the Yankees when he was in high school to play first base out in uh, California and Oregon where he grew up. And his coach told the Yankees scouts, don't waste your time on hay. Ken Hay, don't waste your time on Hay. He'll never play baseball on Sunday. And that was confirmed. He wouldn't. So they dropped it. Well, he went on to Bob Jones and graduated and along with a couple other men got a burden to start a camp in the southeast and the Wilds came into existence in 1969. 20 years later, I showed up. I showed up as a Bob Jones graduate, a Bible major. I've been called those days a diamond in the rough. Um, That was the nice way of saying this guy's arrogant and full of himself. He's got a couple good qualities, but, you know, it's going to take a while for us to get... And Ken and Dr. Hay said... Okay, we'll we'll, we'll see what we got here. And so I just jumped right into the program, and I'm listening to all kinds of preaching and teaching all year long. And one thing that kept coming up with Ken Hay was this idea of servant leadership. He told us, he told us, he told us, he told us. And then one day he showed us. This was not fake. It was not planned. It was genuine And that's what genuine servant-hearted service is. First summer I was there, I was a counselor, and there was some kind of water line break outside of the east wing, and they had quite the trench dug and the pipes, and there was mud everywhere. And and I'm walking by with my camper as this counselor, and, and I look in the trench, and Ken Hay is in the trench with a shovel, khaki pants, white shirt, and dress shoes. And he's in there digging away with the uh, maintenance guys who are supposed to be in there getting dirty. He told us, and he showed us. Well, I'm going to fast forward a few years. The camp asked me to change jobs which meant a move to Greenville. Tina and I had just been married six months. And so 
we were living in A5. And they asked me to come work out of the corporate office in Taylor's. And I said, okay, but she had to stay there in the A-frame while I would come down and, and train at the corporate office. And at night, I stayed at the Hayes house. And it was going to be a great night. She taught home ec. She's a great cook. He loves sports. It's a big game on tonight. This is perfect. <laughs> I really hate not being home, Tina, but I'm okay, really. <laughs> it's going to be a great night. And we got done with supper. And I'm anxious to get into the TV room. So I dismissed myself at the end of supper, and I sat there and waited and waited, and I thought, I don't know how to do this remote control. Where is he? I waited and waited and waited, and he didn't show up. So I go back in, and I'm kind of quietly walking, and I look around in the kitchen, and he's sweeping the floor, picking the two crumbs up that ended up on the floor. And he's bending that 6-6 frame down, picking up crumbs. Okay, that's interesting. Hmm, I don't know much about that. Well, okay, uh, game's, game's bought on. Then he walks over to the, to the sink. And he helped his wife hand wash those dishes. Now, now guys, I would really like to go to task here and talk about servant leadership in the home. I'm not going to, but let what I'm saying just be enough of encouragement. He walked over to the sink and helped his wife do the dishes and dry them and put them away. You know what she did? She reached up, gave him a hug, and planted a kiss on him that was pretty impressive. <laughs> I got to tell you, folks, watching that whole thing, I felt very small. Because somebody said the world's smallest package is a man wrapped up in himself. I felt small knowing that I had witnessed a moment of true greatness. And I said, I want to be that way. I want to be like that. How dirty is your towel? Well, let's have a word of prayer and then... 